This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we take the piss and debunk music fan stereotypes. Because, let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So, Sarah, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the importance of groupies throughout rock history. And, oh boy, is it a good one, because we are joined by the incredibly talented Erica Campbell. (laughs) And I am so pumped. We will give you some more details about her in a bit, but she's a journalist whose work I've been following for quite some time. So I'm very excited that she joined us for this conversation where we talk about all things groupies, mostly the very famous Pamela DeBar, who is, I think, the dictionary definition of a groupie. She's an icon and a legend and should be worshipped in the way that she is. Like She should be inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think she should. Let's start that petition ASAP. Recognize um, these women. And that's really a lot of the topic that we talk about today is how these women need to be recognized and stop being distilled down to arm candy when they really kind of created a lot of like what we think of when we think of these men throughout rock. And as per usual, I do bring the conversation to MySpace at some point, so you should definitely listen to the whole episode if you'd like to go down that rabbit hole with me. All right. Today we are joined by Erica Campbell, the host and post-punk revival rock devotee with stories in Playboy, Nylon, and Glamour. She's the former music editor of Consequence of Sound and owns a star-ornamented boot collection that would make David Bowie proud. Thank you so much for joining us today, Erica. Thank you. And I, I love just starting all conversations with an ode to Bowie and to Boots. So I feel great about this. Absolutely. Completely agree. Um, and so since today we're celebrating all things groupies, we'd love to know who is your favorite groupie? I feel like this is cheating, but I'm going to go with Pamela DeBar. I feel like she is the ultimate groupie mother. We've all learned so much from her in life and in general. She's a writer. She's a stylist. She's a performer. She's a teacher. So I think if I could distill what I think the ultimate groupie should be, it would be Pamela, Miss P. She most definitely is the ultimate groupie. I think there's no doubt about it. The poster child for groupies everywhere. I feel like if anybody ever has like wanted to be a groupie, just learn about Miss P and you're on your way. (laughs) No matter what era it is, I feel like she has some sort of knowledge to distill on people but yeah so we're discussing groupies today and the importance of them throughout rock history from the very beginning up till now sort of and yeah and i wanted to start this off by giving you guys the oxford english dictionary definition of what groupie is because i think you guys will all be shocked so a groupie is a person especially a young woman who follows pop or rock musicians or other famous people around and tries to meet them And I feel like that's not too far off to what people equate fangirldom to nowadays, um, which I think is kind of like what it was back in the day. It just was these girls who had no abandon and were kind of like, you know what, I'm going to knock on that backstage door and see what happens. And I think that if that was accessible today, that more fangirls would be thought of as groupies because they would be knocking on those doors. Because, I mean, in a lot of the groupie stories, it'll be about, like, oh, yeah, like, we would go to the hotels and we'd, like, try and find their hotel room and, like, all this stuff. And I'm like, that's what fangirls do. You guys just got farther along. But, yeah, being a groupie has been, like, distilled down to something else nowadays. At one point, being a group, like, that's what the groupies always thought of themselves as. It's, like, people who just sort of helped make rock music, like, what rock music was. Whereas people on the outside saw groupies and they were like, oh, like these girls are just like sluts, really. And I mean, I don't know, like with Pamela DeBar, I feel like she 
talks a lot about like how there was like this like sexual revolution and all these sort of things and I mean you've spoken to her like before about this sort of stuff and I mean what was that like and like what is your experience or like knowledge of like how this all started so even reading I'm with the band which is why I wanted to interview her for Playboy it just as someone that's always been a fan like foremost a fan before I was even imagining being a journalist in any respect like it made sense the way that she felt about these artists and the magnetism that she felt towards going to try to meet these bands and following these bands on tour. So that just, I think the framing of I'm with the band kind of takes away the salacious nature of it. It's like, yes, there are these stories about like Jim Morrison and there are stories that are very much like PG-13+, plus, but at the core of it, it's like this person who is just generally interested in being part of this music community and when you speak to her she's very measured and thoughtful with the way that she talks about not only herself as a quote-unquote groupie um, but groupie as a pejorative and even the girls that come to her to her writing workshop that she refers to as dolls where she just like has this respect for all of them but also she talks about it in a measured way of like she wasn't just hooking up with these guys. She was like styling people. She was making her own music. She was giving them a place to stay. She was friends with these people. Um, it just takes away this idea of her just like hooking up with dudes that she thought was hot. And I actually, I was listening to the Muses podcast that you both introduced to me uh, these past few days, which I'm like obsessed with now. But um, <laughs> Kristen Casey, who is Joe Walsh, his ex was talking about how she kind of felt like it was this yin and yang interaction where it's like one can't exist without the other like all these people are starting bands because you know they want to have fans they want to have these girls that are going to follow them on tour and buy their music and then you have these girls that want to follow these bands and they want to listen to their music and they want to feel close to them so it really is this like Sit, like two sides of the same coin and it makes sense that I don't I don't want to speak for both of you but I know for myself personally like I'm someone that likes to experience heightened levels of emotion so it makes sense that I like dive into these situations where there are people that express emotion well that I'm like that's what I want to be around that's what I want to listen to like that's how I want to you know build my life for the people I surround myself with so the relationship aspect of that almost feels like an obvious thing that would happen as opposed to the central part of it it's like yeah of course you're going to want to be around musicians that's how you navigate the world through sound through music of course you want to be a part of this community so if you're going to date someone or hook up with someone of course they're already going to be the people you're hanging around with already. I think that makes so much sense. And I really liked how, what you said about the yin and the yang, because it's like, you're right, you wouldn't have one without the other. And it's almost like, it's like a cyclical nature of like one inspiring the other and so on and so on. But I'm curious, like, if you have any thoughts about when the word groupie started to have like a negative connotation to it. One thing that Pamela told me, and I think she's mentioned this in other interviews too, is like when it was first, that term was being thrown around, it was literally just like people that hang out with groups. Like you're a groupie, you're hanging out with the band, that's a group. And I think that there's a lot of reasons that it turned into a pejorative, but I, I think if, if you really look at it socially, we don't really like to see women have autonomy over their sexuality. We have a lot of judgment around it. It's like I said in the Playboy article, it's like we somehow connect like, okay, someone's dressed a certain way. They're asking for it. They're X, Y, and Z. But then if somebody's literally asking for it, standing in their power and being like, I would like to have sex with this person, then we're also going to judge them on that side. So it's like, we can't win. In general, it's like, we just have in this society, this idea of policing women's sexuality. And I think that there might just be like a little bit of, uh, of jealousy that I know she was dealing with when she was going around and hanging out with these bands where it's like, why is she so special that she gets to be close to them and I'm not? It must just be that she's hooking up with them when in reality, like we're talking about people that are talented in their own right and, and smart and really muses to a lot of these artists. And it makes sense that they're connected and it's not as simple as just like they were hooking up. Well, I think also the thing that I found most interesting and that I learned a lot from listening to that Muses podcast is that a lot of these women sort of got their creativity, their work that they were putting into these artists sort of got erased over time. And if you aren't like passionate about these sorts of artists 
and thus going deeper into them so you learn about their girlfriends or the people that were hanging out with them or whatnot like you just don't know like how important these people are and I just think it's so crazy that people like Marianne Faithful and like Angela Bowie and like Anita like Ballinger like got like just diluted down to like girls who were having sex with rock stars especially like Angela Bowie who basically like created Bowie where I'm like without her he would have been nothing and it's just so insane that like because I was never super super obsessed with Bowie I just like knew she existed but didn't know anything else and then I listened to this and I'm like she's cooler than he was like what is this and so it's just insane that like these women who sort of had a huge hand in creating the rock and roll lifestyle and like style and aesthetic that we all like follow and are aware of like it just got kind of erased from the history books yeah I mean you look at John Lennon who I mean I don't know if you guys heard of him he's a big star <laughs> um and you like the song Imagine and how he even said in an interview that he didn't give Yoko Ono any credit on the track because that's just not what you did you don't like give your partner credit for writing a song even though it's like a massive song that is like your biggest song and like one of the biggest songs in the world and he went back and credited her later on but at the time it was just like it was just his song and everybody's like first of all she broke up the Beatles she's awful we hate her and she's out here like co-writing pieces of work that are like iconic moments in rock history and we just kind of look over that and back to this like man and assume like oh he must be doing it all by himself which is so rarely the fact of the matter there's always behind a powerful man there's always a powerful woman and sometimes in front of the powerful man which is also nice too yes absolutely what i always say is like if a band doesn't have some woman like in the back behind the scenes like job i'm like i don't trust you like why are there no women involved in this party this is shady Because I feel like most artists, like, that have women involved, whether that be, like, publicists, managers, like, creatives, whatever the case is, like, I just feel like they get it so much more. And, like, as people who, like, interview artists and, like, spend time doing this sort of thing, it's, like, anytime you meet someone and you're, like, oh, it's just a bunch of white men, you're, like, oh... you can tell like you like it all clicks into like the nice little rubik's cube and you're like oh okay this all makes so much more sense now that i've met your team i i think it's it seems tone deaf when so many i know i listen to a very specific genre of music most of the time so i listen to like a lot of like post-punk revival bands but a lot of their fans are younger women so if Mm -hmm. you're you don't have a young woman in your in your actual band then you kind of need them to be in some sort of other role in your team because you're trying to speak the language of your fans and your fans are women so it seems so tone deaf to not have them a part of your overall like strategy of being a musician. 100% I agree with that. I just want to go back and mention like with Pamela in her book, I'm with a band, you know, she talks about it. It's really funny because it's like her diary, like growing up over the years, which I think is hilarious because like, I feel like that's very relatable. But she talks about how she was just so in love with the Beatles and like Elvis and like that. Those were her first loves, you know? And so I think it's important to like point out that so many of the groupies of like the 60s and 70s grew up with like those crushes as like young teen girls and they were just so obsessed and like in love with music that they wanted to be like close to these idols really and that's what kind of sparks a lot of it. I think also that was a thing that came up a lot in the Muses podcast too is that a lot of these girls like fell in love with the Beatles or with Elvis and then from that were like oh like I need to figure out a way to like get involved in music in some way because they were like that thing where it's like once you're in your 20s you're like close in age to this band that you've looked up to but like when you're a teenager they're like these adults that you could like never touch with a stick sort of thing and it's just so interesting like how the Beatles sparked so much in these girls and it just like changed so many things and I just I don't know it's just always it's so crazy to me that like where would music or anything be without the Beatles but also where would it be without their fans and it's just this like weird thing especially as people who are young now and so you you, like we equate the Beatles at first when you hear about them like oh like my dad plays the Beatles or like oh like my uncle like my uncle my grandpa like whoever and then you get into it and every like book or photo or anything it's always young girls like you never see 
be the men and so it's just that really interesting thing where it's like without the Beatles there'd be nothing but then without the girls there'd be nothing and then like these girls then shape sort of like rock music going forward because also at that time like there were I mean there were like female musicians but it wasn't the same sort of thing and so they're like how do I get close to music when as like how you were saying earlier like how do I get involved in this when like this isn't for me and thus groupies (laughs) came to be and they all were like oh like creative like how you're saying like Pamela would like make clothes and like all those sorts of things where it's like how I like I wanted to be in a band so badly when I was a teenager and I just was like not musically gifted in that way so it's like how do I do it how do I get close to this and then I started doing like music photography and thus music journalism and it's like that same thing where my mind didn't go like oh I'll go try and be a groupie (laughs) but I feel like even now like sometimes you go to shows especially when I was a teen I feel like now it doesn't happen as often but like somebody would always tap me and be like oh is that guy your boyfriend and I'm like I am 16 years old (laughs) like why would that man be my boyfriend (laughs) but it's always that like mindset of like oh like she's has more power or like more access than I do so she must be dating someone yeah And I mean, as somebody who does music journalism, like, have you had to deal with that yourself of people being like, oh, how is she with the band? It's funny because I'm such a fan and I'm so used to like, like, I really fell into writing about music, honestly, because I was just trying to go see The Killers for free. Like, it's a true thing that really happened. Like, my ex at the time was like, we're not paying for you to see The Killers again. And I was like, bet. So I (laughs) made a website and I put together a portfolio and I emailed this publication called Festival Stomps. I don't even think that they're online anymore. And I was like, can I cover Bunbury Festival for you? Because I was like, I'm just going to try to cover it. And they're like, okay, we'll get some writing samples. They said yes. They got me a pass and I went to see the killers for free. But while I was there, I did an interview and then transcribing the interview and I got back home and started crying because I was like, okay, this is the thing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I love this. But like, I've done interviews before where I'll see girls like queuing outside and I'll come out because I'm doing the interview before the, the show. And my immediate reaction is to kind of recognize myself as someone who's done that before, as someone who is such a big fan. And so I will like think like, oh, these are my people. Let me go talk to them. And I'm like, hi. And they're like, what are you doing? What were you doing in there? That's a thing that actually happened to me. Like, what were you doing in there? Who are you talking to? And I was like, I was, it was an interview. And I was like, just trying to compliment their like, like, I was like, oh, your makeup looks great. And they're like, so who, who are you talking to? Who are you in there with? And I was like, okay. So um, I think that, yeah, that happens. I think being backstage, sometimes people assume that you're not working back there because you're a girl, which is so weird. Cause I think at this point it's like, come on, like, we, like women have jobs, you guys. It's such it's 2020. Um, but I honestly, I, I'll be like, my experience in the music industry thus far has been very, like, very kind. And I don't know if it's because of who I've interacted with, or I've just been lucky to not, I've not really had any horrible or any like experiences that kind of pushed me away. It's always like drawn me in deeper, actually. That's really nice. <laughs> like- I feel like you might have a horror story. <laughs> oh, I mean, I've like, I just have had things where I'll be like working with a band and like the band will have hired me and then like some older person who has to do with the band will show up and be like, why is this girl here? And it's like, the band has autonomy outside of like management. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes management, like I, this might be a stretch, but I feel like a lot of times like our way, of, like girls way of getting into music, at least from my experience is journalism. Whereas a lot of men's way of getting into music is when they can't play is becoming a manager. So they all seem like a bit, at least a lot of the ones that I've like come in contact with are sort of of that ilk of like, I wasn't musically talented. So now I need to like assert my power by being a band manager and thus being the worst person to be involved with a band. I kind of, I kind of love that. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's just like, that's a stereotype that needs to get sent around more. Um, that's my hot take of the of the hour. I kind of like it. I honestly, I, it kind of makes me feel better. I do feel like bands in general, it, it always kind of feels like if it was just them, they'd be like, yeah, sure. Like, let's do, let's do the interview. Let's do the shoot. Let's do that. But they do have like a lot of middlemen in the, in, in different positions, which I think the, the thing about like the seventies and this heyday of like groupiedom is like, they were, there weren't really 
as many middlemen, it was like Pamela just like knocking on the window or breaking into Jim Morrison's house. Like there was no one to stop her. I, th- I love the story of like you talking to the girls waiting outside in line because I feel like now there's like such a rivalry in a competition of like you have your little friend circle and everyone outside of that is competition, which is just like a whole thing of women making competition out of each other in its own. But I think it's interesting with Pamela and everything she said, it it doesn't seem like there was a competition between them. It was just like, they were friends. They were all hanging out. She'd bring her girlfriends over and like, they would just have a good time. It wasn't like a rivalry. Yeah. There should definitely be more of that. And it just, it works well. Like when we collaborate as women and work together and discover new music together and hang out together and work on cool projects like this together, it just goes well. So it's strange that people are really competitive. I think all of the click things need to stop. I think that even within the industry, I'm sure that you all know, like you have your friends that are journalists or you have your friends that are photographers. And I have that same thing where it's like within our little circle, we like work together and we collaborate, but there's always this like, weirdness that shouldn't be there I think when it comes to women just being like we could all just do all this cool shit together like even this podcast or I mean we were talking about the muses podcast and you mentioned how Pamela and her friends were not competitive they were just like creating things together and it worked really well and amazing things start to happen and really cool projects off the ground and it forces the industry to take us seriously because there's evidence that it works like you can have a bunch of women in a room and cool shit manifest so yeah, definitely more of that. I, I I honestly feel like the more I work with women, the better my work becomes. Like the like editors, publicists, just in general. So I don't understand the competition. It doesn't make sense because it doesn't even work. And something that Sarah like brings up often that I think is really interesting that I, I can't, still can't wrap my mind around is like the fact that like as teenage girls, like being able to love a band like with so much passion and energy and everything it really like changes how you view and work around music and other creative things for the rest of your life and Sarah's like made this point of like sometimes it just feels like there's something lacking when it's like a man working on a project versus like the passion that like a woman brings from like her fangirl dumb I agree I've always said that to people like because I'm not a I'm not a music critic at all by any mm-hmm. means I'm not qualified to be a music critic. When I like something, I fucking love it. Like, I don't know how to be coy about it. I don't know how to be like chill about it. I'm not going to stand in the back of a concert and like write notes and just like nod along. Like I'm going to accidentally make my way up to the balcony or to the side stage or to the front row. And I'm going to dance because I I, I want to be around that feeling. And that same, when I was talking about that whole yin and yang thing, I'm a very woo woo person and I do sound meditation a lot, but there's like this whole idea of like people that are just kind of on that same frequency like people that are open-hearted and then people that are musicians who are literally like able to hear different frequencies or communicate with music in a different way so there's this magnetism towards it and I think that people just simplify it or think like oh they must just think that that band is cute or they they're just like fans and it's like no like this is a real experience that is like happening and that people have actually measured the impact of sound waves on our bodies and like the way that we interact with them. So I just think it's bigger than just girls being fans. I think that that passion is so real and it definitely like seeps out and makes projects better. It makes the work better when you can like come from that place. I 100% I love what you just said. I think that's like something people don't know how to put into words enough of just like the experience of like live music you're just like transported to this other place and I feel I feel like we've taken it for granted I feel like (laughs) I took it for granted earlier this year because it's so easy sometimes to get jaded and being like oh this is just another job or like I I really don't want to be out at this show tonight but like when you have that magic moment it's so incredible and you just feel like connected to everyone else in the room and it just like radiates and you chase it and I think like it's funny because we were talking about how like fans become people that are like music journalists or groupies or what have you and you don't even realize you're doing it you're literally just like trying to get closer to the music you're like how do I get closer to this feeling I love the way that that made me feel how do I do it again how do I get closer and then you wake up and then you're a journalist I feel like that's kind of what happened (laughs) I mean there were some other steps during the process and I did the work but like it was just a constant like how do I make this a part of you know every aspect of my life the thing that really like struck me in Pamela's book is that she was talking about when she was like dating Jimmy Page and how they well because like like they were dating but he also was like we're not dating so I'm like I I hate men (laughs) 
<laughs> what are labels anyways? I'm like, stop hurting this woman. She's crying all the time. Rude. Damn it, but, Jimmy. But it's like that funny thing, like just speaking of that, and then I'll get back to the original point, is that like the thing with band guys and this is always my problem when my friends are like, oh, like, I just want to date a musician. I'm like, oh, do you? Um, it's like, even when they're your friend, like, the second they're not in your city, it's like, who who are you again? And then, like, tours over, and then they, like, are constantly, like, in your text, constantly being like, oh, like, you're in my city, let's hang out, let's do this thing. But then the second they're on tour in your city, they're like, who are you? <laughs> like, what's, <laughs> what's happening? I feel like we're calling out a specific person. I don't know who it is, but if you're out there listening, don't be that way, okay? <laughs> well, I feel like Pamela even said it, like, in her book, where she'd be like, oh, yeah, like, Jimmy's in town. I'm just waiting yeah. by my phone. Because it's that thing where, and I think it's so crazy that even in, like, the 60s, 70s, that, like, that was what was going through her mind of, like, oh, like, I don't want to show up and, like, just look like a fan because that's not who I am. And it's, like, I have so many friends who go through that, like, inner drama when, like, a guy they've, like, hooked up with or, like, a guy they're just friends with is, like, in town with the band and, like, they haven't gotten that text that, like, is, like, oh, you're on guest list. <laughs> it's, like, do I buy a ticket? Like, is that Oh, crazy? my gosh. I don't know why that's making me anxious right now. <laughs> I'm having PTSD. <laughs> when you just said, am I on guest I'm like, oh, that, like, am I? Am I on guest list? I'm like, okay, it's, everything's fine. It's, it's, we're fine. Yeah, no, I, whew, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was talking to my uh, friend about this yesterday and I was talking about how a lot of the women on that Muses podcast were saying that the, one of the reasons they felt like their relationships didn't work out with these musicians was because they didn't have their own lives. They didn't have their own things. They were just becoming like an extension of this man. And it's like, that's yeah. not sustainable when you're going to see somebody like twice a month, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Like you have to have your own life. You really, you have to be busy enough to not be waiting by the phone and you have to trust that you're going to make it on the, onto that guest list. And, like, that's the thing. And I think it was Michelle Overman who was, like, Robert Plant's, like, L.A. girl. And, like, Robert Plant had a wife. And it was, like, these things were, like, she couldn't be in group photos. And they're, like, they said in the Muses podcast that, like, there was one photo where, like, you can see his arm goes out of frame. And it's because he's, like, holding her. So she feels like she was, like, a part of it. And I'm like, that's so depressing that this is like this thing where it's like, because from like the story she tells and like the song that he wrote about her, it's like he clearly like loved her in some sort of way. And it's like, it, it gets to that point where it's like these women are so important and like they, they're not really ever allowed to feel like they're as important as these artists are telling them that they are because it's like, well, you have a wife or like, oh, well, I'm like not allowed to be seen with you in public and these sort of things where it's like that can really mess people up and it's like, it's just insane because like, and the point of like why we wanted to like do this episode is like just talking about how important like these women were and it's so clear especially when you like do the research like even a little bit like how important they were and how much like power they had and that like a lot of them didn't realize until like way after the fact of like oh I was important and I just feel like it's so sad <laughs> like hearing these stories because Pamela's friends with a lot of them so like in her book like they're brought up or like in other yeah. things like that were brought up or she'll bring them up in interviews and stuff and just like hearing her be like oh yeah like they were like heartbroken all the time like they were like sad all the time and it's like imagine just living your 20s loving music so much and like being close to these like historic rock bands and like not really getting to enjoy it because of that stress of like oh like I can't be seen like I can't be heard but I'm so important <laughs> and then only until like when you're 60 do you actually be realize like oh yeah I was as important yeah. as I thought I was and it's just like heartbreaking I also think though at the time they were like this is worth it like they were waking up and they were making that decision and that choice I I do love that you said that about like are you sure you want to date a musician because it's I, I think that people think that I mean even in general like working in the music industry in your head you're like oh yeah this is going to be so glamorous and you're like backstage and you're dehydrated and you're like this is not glamorous this is this is not what I thought it was there's not even hummus on the craft services table so I I mean I think that there's a lot to it but also I think that it's 
totally fine for people to make that choice if that's what makes them happy. But it's good. It's good to have cautionary tales to say like, don't let in general, any man, if you're dating them or married to them or hooking up with them, take away your power or trick you into thinking that you're not as important or as powerful or as deserving of respect as you are. You know, it's like, that's a great song, but that doesn't mean you get to disrespect me. Like, that's not the same thing. And I think Pamela's story is like, it feels like out of all of the like famous groupies out there, it feels like she was like really respected. But I think it's because of like GTO and like her connection to like Frank Zappa, like made her another level up where it's like, oh, like she has like done music or like has like played shows or toured or whatever the case is and so I feel like she had had the sort of leg up that I think sometimes she acknowledges but other times she's like I was just one of the girls like it, I was just like hanging out I was cool whatever and I'm like but you were like powerful in like a different sense because she had the like, credibility yeah like a lot of her friends were just like models which like is still sort of like that level of like understanding fame but it's not understanding music in the same way that like they were like oh Pamela gets it so I feel like that like her story what like what I was starting to say earlier was like she was talking about how when she was with Jimmy Page that like they would all wear like these like turquoise like bracelets and like they wouldn't wear them when they were performing so they would give them to her to hold on to and then put her up on the amp next to Jimmy on the stage and so she got to be like a part of it and I mean coming from somebody who's like done photography and it's like when you are working with that band and you like are shooting photos from like from the stage or that thing you feel that like same adrenaline rush that the band feels and just getting that for like three seconds I understand why people want to be in bands I mean that story of her sitting on the amp and looking out into the crowd is like it's it's like one of the best things that's ever happened to me that hasn't happened to me. I just love that story so much. It's just so cool to like know that she could see it from their perspective, literally. But like you were saying, like she understood the creative process in a different way and like what it's like to create those types of things from scratch so she could communicate with them on another level. So I do also want to talk about in this era, like women stepping into their sexual power because we're seeing the second wave of feminism in the 60s and the 70s the pill is like for the first time is like widely available in the 60s and it kind of like led into the whole free love and like the whole hippie <laughs> kind of era and really like this was the first time women were like owning their sexuality and like not apologizing for it and just kind of exploring and i think it's so interesting because and the other thing that Pamela said like things would have not been the same without the sexual revolution and I was listening to a, a podcast earlier called the sex ed where they interviewed her and BB Buell and they were saying that STDs like they weren't worried about STDs at the time like HIV wasn't a thing yet and they both said that like condoms also really weren't a thing then and they were all just like taking the pill and like owning it. And I think that's just like so, it's just so interesting to like put that, you know, context in the frame of like what groupies are and like what they mean also in addition to all their creative roles as well. Yeah, that context is definitely necessary. I think people forget about that when they talk about free love. Like they didn't have the same like fears, like fears that we should like just about being safe and about protecting themselves outside of being like, oh, we won't get pregnant. So we're good. And th that's how they were living. And that's how they were expressing themselves. But yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that context. I think that people forget that there was like certain levels of freedom there that came along with that revolution taking place at the same time. And it's like, it was like the perfect storm. I think the way that the types of music that were being played and the things that were going on socially and historically during that era in the beginning, like especially like at that 70s heyday of groupiedom that just kind of played well together to create what Pamela and a lot of those first famous groupies experienced. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. The thing that kind of blows my mind with it all is that, like, because of, like, everything lined up so perfectly in, like, the late 60s, like, to the late 70s to make all these things, like, possible to happen and occur. And it's just so wild, like, looking back now of, like, how everything had to, like, so perfectly get in line for that, to, for that era to happen. And I feel like that's why so many, like, music fans and everything are sort of always just look and be like okay that was like the heyday of music the heyday of like this culture around rock music and like Jenna and I talk about this a lot it's like there have been like there's rock music that still exists like a lot of it's coming out of like England but like that was also where rock music was coming out of a lot back then too but I mean like there's still are rock bands there's still people making music that sounds similar to like what heyday rock music was but also there have been like different genres of rock like the pop punk stuff and like alternative and all those things that have been successful over the years brit pop all that sort of stuff like there's been different levels of it but like it, none of it ever gets the same recognition because so many things lined up so perfectly in like that decade span of time where like groupies were in their heyday rock was in its heyday all that sort of stuff and I just find it so interesting where, like, the term groupie still exists. Like, there are still people who are like that nowadays, but it's so different because you don't have the access, you don't have the same sort of, like, environment that was, like, cultivated. And it's just it's just so crazy because, like, women back then were, like, so open about being, like, sexual beings and sexual bodies. And then I feel like for a while again it sort of was like it was okay to talk about but like seen as a taboo again in sort of our generation of people where it's like oh they're talking about sex like you have to whisper that word like and I just I just always I think it's really interesting because it's from a lot of stories and like I don't know if this is just these women looking back and like speaking about it more positively now but it seems like people like Pamela and everyone else were like seen and respected whereas I feel like more modern day groupies like people who are viewed as groupies nowadays are looked down upon again where I'm like but they're cool I feel like it might even come down to a semantics issue right like we were calling Pamela a groupie but Pamela is an author and a columnist and a stylist and all these things who happen to be hooking up with bands I think that now when we call somebody a groupie we're not just talking about people that want to be close to bands or people that are working with bands or dating bands even, we're talking about people that are like trying to hook up with bands and standing outside of the venue. And we're kind of stripping them from any other aspects of personality or input or anything. So it's harder to see them as the same type of people, but it's just it just comes down to like how we're defining them. Like it's like what Alex was saying about her friends, like her friends don't consider themselves groupies. They're definitely groupies. But if we say like Alexa Chung's a groupie, then yeah, we respect, I mean, I definitely respect Alexa Chung. <laughs> you know? But at the same time, it's surprising to you when you hear that she's a groupie, as opposed to it being surprising that like some girl is waiting outside to hook up with a band as a groupie. I feel like nowadays, and maybe this is in part because like the groupie turned into such a bad connotation of like, it feels very separate now. It feels like they're the girls who are like at the show trying to hook up with a band. And then there are the women who are working, who are like set more boundaries. And this could just be like, my perspective so like I, I mean everyone's different of course but like it feels like there are women who like set those boundaries of like they're afraid to have rule or hesitant to have relationships because they don't want to be seen in that light they, they want to be respected they want to be professional and they want to be working and not always being like second guess like are you just here because you are hooking up with someone that's just a hard thing to 
balance because it's like you should be able to just do your job well and that be the end of it. But I think that in this industry, especially when you're working with men a lot of the time, it's like you're afraid to be looked at in a way of just like you're only here to hook up with people, even if you've been working for years and you're clearly like publishing your work and that's obviously not the case. It's it's like you just don't want that to be a part of how you're viewed because, you know, women aren't always viewed as powerful if they're expressing themselves sexually. And I'm not, I I don't know why that is. I wish that would change. I feel like you can do both well. You can be a sexual being and an amazing author or photographer and work in the music industry. But yeah, I think a lot of people are afraid of that and they do create that boundary because they don't want it to take away from their career. And it really shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't impact your career. That doesn't make any sense. The thing that has always interested me about Alexa Chung and in doing like research again for this, because like I was just, I was so obsessed with her when I was like a teen. Like I just was like, she is so cool. She's so awesome. Cause like, I feel like at that time, like most of the talking heads on TV were men. And then she was there like having, like getting to interview these bands on TV and just like be herself. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is amazing. But like when she was first coming up on this, and she like you were saying like she would be called a groupie and she'd be like I'm not a groupie like how dare you like this is what a groupie is and then she was like yeah I like called my friends and then they were like no we're not groupies and then I told them the dictionary definition and then they were like oh I guess I am a groupie but then she like went on to explain that like the difference between her and her friends and then like groupies is that like you can tell who a groupie is because they like are in like in a specific article and like we'll link it in the show notes the column she wrote for the independent in like 2009 I think and she was saying how there were these girls at like an after party with their like all access like passes still on their pants and like they were clearly just like darting their eyes around the room trying to like watch the band guys and figure out like how many girls they had to like knock off before they were theirs and she was like you can tell that they're new because they give the groupie vibe and so I just find it interesting how at the beginning she very much was like not a groupie not a groupie but also at the same time it's like I am a groupie I'm just a professional groupie so I know how to not look like one and then you like fast forward like two years and she has like her own show on MTV and she's like as a professional like and even in her book she like refers to herself as like a professional groupie and I just think that that is such like a good title for it because I feel like there's absolutely no problem with like journalists or people in music professionally also wanting to date musicians because it's like I talk about this a lot with my friends too where it's like musicians you don't want to date them but also at the same time they're the only ones who get what you're doing and so it's like how do you like juggle that thing where it's like okay you work in music normal men aren't going to understand this but musicians will understand this but they also are the worst <laughs> like, what do you have to I like that you call them normal men normal, normal men <laughs> normal men who don't understand music <laughs> oh, yeah. this is just the podcast where I come and I shit on men all day <laughs> I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about though like of course you're going to date the musician. Like you're, those are the people that you're around. Like it yeah. makes sense. Like if you're working at an office and you're there all the time, that's like how people end up hooking up and dating people. And I do think if you communicate in that language of music, then you need, you kind of need somebody around you that's going to get it. Especially if you're working in the industry and you are traveling a lot and your hours are really weird and you're putting this like idea or this like arbitrary thing like music at the forefront of your life you kind of need somebody else that's going to look at that and go that that makes sense because I've I've had the opposite situation where people didn't understand it they're like okay why are you working all the time why is it that important for you to go to that show like like why are you doing you're not even getting paid that much to do this and I'm like because I have to because (laughs) it's what I'm doing so I see the other side of it too where it just like makes sense I think it's definitely crazy to navigate and uh more complicated than with a normal what do you call a normal man (laughs) yeah just a normal man (laughs) a peasant I love that so much. Well, I yeah, I mean, that happens all the time where you'll, like, date a normal man. And they'll be like, why are we going to the seventh gig in the first month of our dating? And it's like, sir, free concerts. <laughs> like, why are you complaining? I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, we talked about with, if I hadn't have been with a normal man, I don't think I would have been a music journalist because he was saying that we weren't paying for more killer shows. And I was like, 
excuse me, normal man, I will find a way to get in. So there you go. Wow, what an icon that normal man was. He made you, <laughs> he forced you to force your hand. <laughs> oh, he truly did. He truly did. But basically, like, I just, because the thing that is interesting is, like, again, in the heyday of groupies, it was just, like, sort of any girl could really do it if they really put their mind and, like, power to it. Whereas I feel like getting into, like, the late 90s up till now, it's been like a very particular type of woman who is a groupie and who and a lot of them are like socialites or models or sort of like on the cusp of being famous where it's like their parents are famous or their parents just have money or whatever it is and so thus they're able to like do this thing and I guess I just find it interesting because like since everything was sort of just like I guess easier in the 70s like it made it more possible for these women to kind of just like sew clothes and because that's what Pamela said she's like oh yeah like I would sew clothes and then I'd like go to these shows and that was my life and it was fine whereas now like you can't make your life really just like being devoted to the rock stars that you love in the same way because everything costs so much money but I just think it's interesting how Kate Moss also for a while was kind of like the poster child of like the new era of groupies where it was like a lot of them were models and had like these intense drug problems that everyone was just like okay with first like in a very different way to the 70s where it's like you knew that they were doing drugs but like at the time it was like that's just what people did whereas like Kate Moss and Pete Doherty are like yeah heroin <laughs> like in like every interview or every time that it's brought up I, I just think it's an interesting trajectory of like what like groupiedom turned into and then I think Alexa Chung then like 10, 15-ish years later trying to reclaim it. I feel like it should have been more reclaimed with her just making having that stance on her TV show all the time of being like, I'm a professional groupie, but it feels like the groupie dumb kind of stopped with her, at least from my perspective, where it feels like lately there's nobody that I can think of off the top of my head over the past like 10 years that's like become famous for being a groupie. Like I can't, like I know personally people who are groupies but like nobody knows who they are you know what I mean like I don't think they're gonna be writing a memoir but who knows um, Megan Fox <laughs> Megan Fox is not a groupie she's just dating Machine Gun Kelly but, but doesn't that make her she's a groupie a, now a groupie doesn't make her a groupie now I guess by definition like True, she's by... hanging out with a rock star I think that that's the thing. Like they, they're there. They're all over. The, they're all over the place. It's just people are more secretive about it, obviously, because of social media, and it's just so easy to just like put somebody on blast, like via one story, pretty quickly. But I think that it really just comes down to like how people define themselves. Like, is Megan Fox a groupie? I think most of the time we're like, no, she's an actress who happens to be. And it's like when you hit that, who happens to be, it's like she might be a groupie. <laughs> I love I would love to hear Megan Fox's take on this. Would she self-define as a groupie, self-identify as a groupie? I feel like she's like leaning into it. So yeah, maybe. But I mean, I need to bring up MySpace. <laughs> that's always what I do. But I mean, I feel like that was like the last era of people being like, quote unquote, like textbook media stigmatized groupies because there was like that era of like the myspace live journal like scene queen sort of girls who were with those like pop punk warp tour bubble sort of artists and that's just what they were known for like they were known for nothing other than like looking like a hot topic threw up on them and that they like hooked up with these people and a lot of them now are like doing really well i know like there was this girl named danielle guizio who now has like a leather or like a jeans clothing line and she used to like hook up with people in all time low and like these other bands and then there's like kelty knight who's like an e pop news anchor and she used to date like Brendan Urie, I think, or Ryan Ross from Panic at the Disco. And it's so interesting that I feel like they sort of did it the other way around where they were like nobodies. And then they started dating these band guys. And because of social media being available, they kind of utilized that to like get to the careers they wanted, which I think is very powerful. <laughs> 
And I feel like they're not given enough notice for like what they what they did. And I feel like because group the term groupie became so stigmatized and became this thing that's like looked down upon, they didn't own it. And so it just was like, oh, like I'm their girlfriend, or like, oh, like I just hang out with bands, like that's just where like we're just the same age, whatever. And it's like you were a groupie and you use that power to make yourself incredible. <laughs> it's just like, why can't because I feel like that's so empowering, at least from my like viewpoint of somebody just like watching it unfurl of being like this is really powerful and incredible that you did this and I wish you would like talk about it more because I found that this there was this girl her name is Hannah Bass and she also was like a MySpace person and she dated Trace Cyrus from Metro Station and Martin from Boys Like Girls and I think she she like also does like a bunch of crazy stuff now and like Paper Magazine like profiled her like last year about like her rise to like fame and I just think it's so funny because I'm like with the internet there's so many different levels of fame (laughs) it's like I just I don't know I feel like they're like oh yeah like they were my boyfriend and it's like just talk about that like talk about what it was like talk about it more I mean I'm just I'm always just curious about it too like in general just like I love hearing these stories you get why people would be so drawn to music and how it would happen that way I was completely tapped out of that cycle though of music I had no idea that people were on MySpace launching careers by being groupies that is the honestly the coolest thing I've heard in a long time I just remember as like a young girl like being on MySpace and like not supposed to be on MySpace with like my private profile that like nobody's allowed to know I have sort of thing and like seeing these girls with this like bright pink hair and these like crazy outfits and their like profile photo with like some band guy that I have a crush on and like it's not like a fan photo it's like they know this man and I'm like how do you know this man (laughs) like I'm like where is your MySpace blog about how you like how you did this like please write a textbook for us but it was like this whole other era that I feel like is so niche that like so many people are just unaware that it happened and I feel like there could be a whole other section of a Muses podcast about MySpace scene queens that's just going yeah. untapped. I also think it's funny that you, you mentioned this and Pamela's mentioned this in interviews too like when it's happening people don't always know that it's like this moment or other people don't know it's happening so like even though we can't like list out on our hands right now like these are five people that are definitely groupies that are like getting backstage right now it's like it's it doesn't stop happening like it's gonna continue like as long as there's art there will be groupies like that's always happening it's just a question of like is it happening on myspace is it happening on instagram like where is it taking place because it's taking place even if we don't know about it yeah i totally agree and i think even to sarah's point like the internet has just changed this landscape so much because if you think about it like in the 60s and 70s like they were saying you know sometimes they would have wives or girlfriends at home sometimes they wouldn't but it's like you didn't have like social media you didn't have somebody tweeting like all the hot gossip you know so it's like either you heard it through the grapevine or like you just didn't know and now I think I agree I think it's happening in secret but because of social media, Sarah and I were talking about how, especially like bands that have like One Direction, for example, it's like you always knew where they were. You always knew what hotel they were in, when they were going where. And there's always someone taking a photo or taking a video of that happening. So like a band on that level probably didn't have groupies to the same degree as like Mick Jagger did because he couldn't just like roll around and like hook up with whoever he wanted because everyone would know. I think like for an, an aspiring groupie, a young teen aspiring groupie, it's harder to like have that sort of access of like just like living next to Jim Morrison like that like it's probably not gonna happen and so on that level it's like there's more distance between like fangirls and like the rock stars themselves and so I think like to Sarah's point of like them being socialites or them kind of already being in the scene I feel like the groupies nowadays are like already kind of in the same scene on the same level as people who are in bands and like that's probably more how they're connected now it just like blows my mind and I like because that's the thing is it's like 
the i'm sure that all these artists like have girls showing up at their hotel rooms like i like i know firsthand that like a lot of my guy friends in bands have been given like lists of girls and phone numbers of like who you can call if you want to hook up in like certain cities and it's like that's a thing that happens because like you have to be a bit more secretive about it because everything can get out there and so i just think it's really like interesting of like the people who I've met throughout my career as like a photographer and journalist who like hang out with these band guys and you like see them hanging out and you're like they're always hanging out with the same sort of like group of bands who are like all like one to two degrees of separation away from each other and it's like are they but you don't know (laughs) like because there is that need to be like okay like people will start to recognize people who are always at these shows and that sort of thing but because of social media you have to sort of keep it on the down low because there is that like negative connotation of groupies and that sort of thing and so it's like there's oh I feel like there's always that like whisper of like oh like that girl's always at these shows Hmm." (laughs) whatever but it's like not the same thing and I feel like with like Pamela and stuff like when you see these photos of her with these bands and all that sort of thing it's like those weren't dropped the next day like those came out probably like in that month's issue of like some sort of magazine and it's like oh like who yours who was at like the Led Zeppelin like album release party and then there's photos of like Pamela on somebody's lap or whatever the case is whereas now if that happens like the photos are there the next day and everyone's trying to figure out like oh like why does like that girl and like Ashton Irwin have like the same like sharpie design on their hand like what could that mean? <laughs> Girls on the internet will do sleuthing to like a ridiculous degree if they think that like if they think that they figured out who a band member is like hooking up with nowadays. And so it's, I don't know. I just feel like girls aren't allowed to own the fact that they do get to like hook up with these like incredibly talented men and I'm like why aren't they allowed to and it's like oh right because girls bully like girls on the internet bully anyone <laughs> they think has any connection. Yeah, it's, I'm getting that same anxiety about guest list again. And I, the, like, girls are, they will get you. They will get you. And it's it's the weirdest thing because it's like, you want to be like, but we're, we're like the same. Like, we're like, we're all together in this. But I think especially fandoms, if they catch wind of something, whether it's like you wrote something about someone or anything, they will, they will find you and they will find out everything about you. So it is kind of daunting to be like, like Pamela didn't have to, she might've had to deal with that in person, but she didn't have to like go on Twitter or Instagram and deal with a bunch of people deciding in front of a jury of their peers, whether or not she was worthy of hooking up with Jimmy Page, you know? Can you imagine <laughs> alternate reality, <laughs> Pamela's heyday, but on Instagram? Oh my God. She would have like owned the shit out of it though. Like she would have just no holds bar. She'd been, been like, flaunting it. She would be posting photos of like his underwear on her floor and being like, guess whose these are and like stuff like that. Like she would have been wiling out. And I think on the other side of that, like if you look at the photos we were talking about with Pam and the other groupies, like these men weren't like embarrassed to be seen with them. They weren't like trying to hide the fact that they were hanging out with them. It was very much public knowledge. They were out together at restaurants and they were obviously hanging out. So it is weird. I think everyone's just very afraid of people finding out about what they're doing and they don't want to be judged for it and they don't want to be bullied for it. Also just like even as people who aren't groupies but have like that connection like I don't know I don't sleep I'm not sleeping with people but I guess people would call us groupies I don't know how this works anymore but I mean like that's the thing is like when there's any other and like this I feel like I talk about this a lot, but it's, like, the, like, media world, whether it be TV, like, literature, anything, sort of feeds young girls into that thing of, like, you need to fit the, like, not, like, other girls trope of, like, the Wattpad, like, fan fiction thing of, like, oh, she's not paying attention, whatever, like, whatever nonsense the case is, but, like, so they pit young girls against each other, and so there is this age group of girls who are, like, oh, this girl has something I don't have, so we hate her, instead of being, like, oh, this girl has something I don't have, let's, like, spur her on so that maybe someday I can have that, and I feel like you get to this point where you hit this age and you like smacked in the face with like oh I should have more female friends I should like respect women more and like I should be like 
fighting the good fight for us all to hook up with whoever we want to hook up with and like not get hated for it on the internet and I just feel like as women involved in the music industry like there is always that fear of like posting photos with like your guy friends or being like oh yeah like we hung out after an interview or whatever the case is because there's always going to be that one fan who's like no and then thus all these other fans are like no it's like who who decided that you don't like me and it's like it's just so crazy because I've had things where I've written stories and people will be like why did you write like why did you write it this way why did you do this thing and I wind up like dming some like 17 year old girl on twitter being like I don't know what I did to offend you, but we're on the same team. And like 90% of the time I wind up like turning them into a feminist. So it's great. But there is that 10% of the time where they're like, no, I hate you die. And it's like, what? (laughs) It's weird for me because as a fan, if I like a band, like I've never had that like jealousy of like, okay, Alexa Chung is with Alex Turner. I love Alex Turner. I hate Alexa Chung. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. that's so cool. I love Alexa Chung. And I think within the the groups of fans that I've been part of, there's always been kind of like a lot of respect for that female counterpart. Or like if someone gets married, it's like automatically we're like, okay, like we still think your husband's great, but like we respect that like that's his person now. And I, I know like as a Killers fan, like we've always just been very like, as a group, like if Brandon Flowers' wife posts something or like says something, people are very protective of it. And like, if anyone has anything negative say about it, to say about it, it's like fans kind of hop onto that person um, so that, you know, that people don't have to actually like do it themselves. But I think that there is a version of reality where people can like, I mean, people seem to like Megan Fox, right? Yeah. I don't really know what's going on inside of their fandom, but there seems to be examples of fans respecting and looking up to some of these women as well. Yeah. I think it's just like hard to say how it's going to land. And it's like kind of taking a risk, right? Like, are they going to like you? Are they going to look up to you? Are they going to think you're cool? Or are they going to just be like, absolutely not the fact that there is that fear of like oh like literally it's insane to me that you have to like soft launch a journalist or like a photographer or like a touring member of staff or whatever to be like oh like we start tagging them in photos let's make sure our fans are cool with it okay i feel like we need to have a wrap-up question that i don't even know where to leave this because i'm like this conversation is so good i want to have it for seven hours it is it's i wonder what that is like it's so fun to just talk about these relationships and it's like it is even fun to discover like someone's dating someone you're like oh they're with that person like it, it's enjoyable for some reason it i don't know there's something about it that just is fun in general to talk about Well, I feel like it just gives you, like, this insight into these, like, unobtainable rock stars that, like, you could never have otherwise. And it's also, like, oh, because, like, a lot of the times, like, these women are more accessible than their, like, band counterpart. And so it's, like, you, what you know about, like, Pamela or whoever the case may be, like, you're, like, oh, so this is what they like. So this is what they're really like. Because, like, you just know, like, that persona that they give off, like, that rock star persona or, like, whatever they talk about in interviews, but then based off of, like, the women that they decide to date, you're, like, oh, now you, like, sort of have a better insight into who they are. Outside of, like, Pamela DeBar and outside of, like, her books, like, are there other women who you think might have been viewed as a groupie, but, like, were so much more that you think people should look into? Honestly, it feels like, it really feels like the majority of the people that have even been mentioned in these books, and I'm drawing a blank of calling a specific name, but I haven't seen an example of anyone from I'm in the band to like, there's this coffee table book I have that's like a Rolling Stones reissue of like electric ladies and other groupies. Every single person that's talked about, even in the Muses podcast we discussed, they are not just like one-sided characters that were just hooking up with people like like all of them had something else going on or had this level of depth or ended up doing something cool whether or not it was in the industry um so it just feels like in general we should probably just take some time to give women more credit than just to look at them as like one-dimensional beings who can or cannot hook up with a band it's like 
that's sure that might be a part of it but it's definitely not the whole story and the rest of the story is usually pretty fucking good i just think any person that you ever assume was a groupie google them (laughs) they probably have so much more going on i just keep thinking i'm like it would be so fun to do a simulation where we lock up all the men and all the women just get to create together and see what happens i think that would get rid of a lot of the stigma too like i think as women like we can't depend on the men of the industry to take away that pejorative we kind of have to take it upon ourselves to look at each other as multifaceted beings and not you know judge people for hooking up with bands We're giving Erica the honor of giving you guys the band of the week in 30 seconds or less. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm going to count you down. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, we're going to start in three, two, one. All right, so my band is, I guess, a human, a person, Kenny Hoopla. I'm such a huge fan. I love his music. I love that he's like bringing post-punk rock back to the the forefront. It sounds like music from the early aughts that I love, like from Block Party. Um, He definitely has his own sonics. He has his own style, not just from the way that he performs and the way that he just uses social media to talk to fans, but also in the way that he dresses. I appreciate his fits. He's um, been working with lots of artists, collaborating with like Travis Barker. He's been reaching a lot of new audiences in the UK. That's it? (laughs) Yep. 30 seconds is so much shorter and longer than you ever realized. Yeah, I had no idea. Well, hopefully people will use that and just Google him to find out the rest. Well, Erica, this has been a lovely, lovely conversation. I have to say I was a bit intimidated at first of just like, where do you even begin with groupies? But I feel like doing the research and talking to you is just a fountain of information that you could go down this rabbit hole forever. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I mean, I could definitely have this conversation forever. Like weeks could pass and we would still be just like talking about groupies from the 70s to MySpace. So I I genuinely enjoyed it. And if folks want to follow up with you, learn more about your work or talk to you on Twitter, where can they find you? I am very online like always online. So you could always, if you get on the internet, I will be there. My um, website is campbellerica.com where you can read my work and my username on Instagram and my Twitter handle are both the same and they're Erica Campbell and the first A in Campbell is an X. So you can find me there. You can stalk my work. You can confront me about my boot hoarding habit, all that fun stuff on the internet. As Jenna already said so eloquently, this was a freaking amazing conversation. We genuinely could have talked for literal hours. So if anybody wants to hear more of this conversation, I'm sure that Erica would be more than happy to come back. Maybe we can have like part some, two. the part two or like some sort of party with everyone asking questions about groupies. We'll figure something out. But I feel like this definitely is not the end. Definitely can revisit this topic in the future. Yeah, there's so, so much to cover. And we name dropped the Muses podcast multiple times, but definitely go check that out if you have any interest in groupies and have a hard time reading because (laughs) they basically read autobiographies on these incredible women and then make them more easily digestible, which is a great, great time. Um, But yeah, so as Erica already said, you can reach out to her on Twitter if you have any thoughts. And as per usual, you can reach out to us on Twitter. It's at Name3Songs or at Sarah underscore Fagan and at Jen underscore Million. We're also on Instagram and TikTok and all those other fun places if you want to like see us making fools of ourselves on multiple social media platforms. Thank you so much for joining us on Name3Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Harry Styles. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit Name3Songs.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. 
Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.